Good morning. It's DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. All right. I know some of you tuning in this morning are definitely going to want us to stick with sports. And I know some of you tuning in this morning are going to be sorely disappointed if we stick with sports. I imagine there'll be a mix of the two going forward. I got to say, it's pretty hard to come on this morning and talk a lot about sports for multiple reasons. One, you know, we haven't had much for a while. So there's that. The sports news that is out there um, is either bad news or it's just an ugly part of the process and we don't want to see the sausage made, but it'll end up being good news. Uh, From Major League Baseball to Major League Soccer, there are disputes between the unions and the owners, threats of lockouts, threats of the season being disrupted by a labor stoppage. Now maybe it's just brinksmanship. And I think in both cases, these leagues would be making a horrible decision if they didn't play. Baseball needs to play. Soccer needs to play. Different reasons for both. But I don't think anybody's served by not having the season. But both the negotiations this year happen, uh, you know, as always, informed by what happened in the past and by the anticipation of what's going to happen in the future with their deals uh, either having just come up in the case of soccer or about to come up in the case of baseball and the precedent they're setting. And we could break all that down, but I find it dreadfully boring. There's stuff I don't know, and there's stuff we can read that we think we know, but how much of it is true and how much of it is brinkmanship and how much is put out there, you know, trying to influence negotiations. So... They need to play. <laughs> Neither baseball nor soccer is being served by shutting down. Uh, but everybody wants to cut the best deal possible. So, you know, this baseball players are upset because the owners have floated something. It got floated in the media before it even got to the players' union. So they're upset about that. And obviously they've got their history. But at the same time, like 70% of the owners have turned over since the World Series was canceled in 94. They've had a lot of labor peace since then, a quarter of a century. But... They might be ready to repeat that mistake. As far as everything that's happened this weekend has been on TV, uh, you know, it's been horrific. It's, uh, it's, it's part of a long week, uh, and there's lots of you tweeting out, you know, 2020, just when you can't think it can get worse. Can't get worse. It does get worse. Um, <sighs> man, where to start? You know, when you talk about systemic change, uh, you got like, like two minutes till the next commercial break. So good luck with that. Um, the, the poverty that's a background, to all of this, the pandemic that has stressed people out, that has cost people their jobs, that has either cost people their apartments or homes or is about to. And then just the, the physical violence, you know, there's already murder charges filed. How can a cop lean on a guy's neck minute after minute after minute? And be fully aware he's being videotaped. To be fully aware you're videotaped and think, well, that's not going to matter. Man. Uh, see, here's the, and here's the thing. You know, I'm, I'm a white guy who grew up in California, San Diego, Santa Barbara to Sacramento, and then here to Salt Lake City. What do I know about the history of Minneapolis? Now, I've read some stuff here. You know, there's quite a bit of it. I didn't know they lost a police chief over similar issues two years ago. Um, you know, there's all kinds of stories about there, the police unions and how many times guys are disciplined. Um, and I'm not aware of a lot of this. You know, I'm not. And there's other stuff I'm not aware of as well. Um, but to sit there and just stare at a video camera while you kneel on a guy's neck and think that this isn't going to come back to haunt you, 
I mean, you shouldn't be doing it whether you're getting videotaped or not. But to think this isn't going to come back to haunt you blows my mind. And that's, you know, <laughs> maybe it blew the mind of a lot of you. And to other of you, it may just be, well, see, that shows how naive you are. Well, then you'd be right, I guess. Yeah, well, not I guess. You would be right. Um, all right. Plenty to hit uh, as we go forward here. And uh, we got some uh, we got some basketball coming up for you. We will uh, we'll get to that. Um, it seems like we're going to get a, a thing Thursday, but there's there's news leaking out of the NBA um, that you know it's going to be 22 teams. Basically, they're going to let everybody in. It was six games within six games of the playoffs. There's some teams who don't want to play. It's pretty clear the Warriors don't want to play. I don't really see what's in it for the Warriors to play. And Steve Kerr made it pretty clear with what he said, but probably you could figure it out before he said it. So probably 22 teams. Um, it looks like there's probably going to be some regular season games before they go into the playoffs. But it looks like everybody will go into the playoffs. Now, what they make, they'll make these early rounds look like, uh, you know, remains to be seen. There's still wiggle room. Everybody isn't going to be happy. That seems pretty clear. Um, but we got to find out. Uh, we got to find out Thursday, apparently. And, and some of this may leak even before that. All right, uh, we talked with David Locke about this on Friday, and uh, he made a lot of good points. You know, a little bit of news came out since we talked to him, but not a lot. But we're going to let you listen to uh, the conversation with David Locke, PK and I with David Locke, coming up next. Also, Dr. David uh, Petron, and really interesting interview here. The doc is, uh, he's been at the U forever. Uh, he and PK go back to the 90s, the glory days, Majerus winning games, people traveling the NCAA tournament, all that. He's been around the program a long time, and now he's open, helping him open with their phased uh, reopening. So uh, we'll hear from him coming up later this hour as well. Stay with us, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Take The Zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of The Zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 1280, The Zone. Time to bring in David Locke. Uh, NBA Board of Governors um, you know, met on Friday after we talked with David, and we're going to get a decision on Thursday, and stuff has leaked out over the weekend about it's probably 22 teams going to Orlando, everybody that's within six games of the playoffs, and there'll be some kind of mini-tournament so that uh, teams have a chance to play their way in. Um, so that little bit of news has been leaking out, but uh, the bigger picture of uh, what we were talking about with David Locke still stands. Here's David with PK and I on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Joined now by the radio voice of the Utah Jazz, David Locke. His weekly appearance brought to you by Murdoch Chevrolet. David, good morning. Good morning, guys. David, I'm curious. This is a bigger picture, but uh, I'm curious why it seems like the NBA players and owners, while they're struggling with the right format, agree there needs to be a format and they're definitely going to get it done. And baseball, while they may get it done, they want it at least for now to appear like they are just at each other's throats. At what point, and was it like 30 years ago or something, did they form some kind of partnership in the NBA? How did that happen in the NBA that, at least from the appearances of what we're seeing, whatever happens behind closed doors and people get frustrated and whatever, at least it's not spilling over to the public view in the NBA the same way? I think 
Adam Silver probably deserves a lot of this credit because um, I don't know that I think David Stern had the same relationship um, with the players. Um, I think he he had a little bit more of of that labor unrest element to him as a commissioner. And I think when Adam Silver came in, he gave them a voice. I'm sure there's some areas where, you know, that voice becomes loud enough. It's problematic as well. Um, What major league baseball is doing is trying to undo 50 years of labor, you know, like basically the, you know, major league baseball's union's proudest moment is the fact that they've never had any type of revenue share somehow Major League Baseball owners decided to try to use the pandemic as a way to overturn that in without collective bargaining agreement being open. And then I, what, the one I don't understand, um, and this is really where the contrast between the NBA and the Major League Baseball is so obvious, is, um, you know, it feels as though Adam Silver is in consistent communication with all the stars. You know, Damian Lillard made his comments. I have a feeling he'd made them to Adam Silver in person prior to making them to Chris Haynes of Yahoo. Like, that's the level of communication that Adam Silver has with the top players in this league. Um, In contrast, Major League Baseball just tried to pit its stars against its lower-end paid players and really put the stars in a position where they can only look terribly in the public which is such a bizarre thing to me to, to, to do. I mean, it's let's take your single most marketable and the reason why people are watching the game and make them look bad and make them look bad in the eye of the public is just a bizarre approach to this. So we hear that the Board of Governors will have a meeting and all, and is it when it comes down to which format they're going to use, is it going to be a simple majority? Is Silver going to decide? How is that going to play out? I mean, I think by the time it's going to be done, it would hopefully be unanimous. It won't be when it starts. Um, I don't know how the Board of Governor meetings work in that sense, but I think that, you know, they've been pretty transparent with both um, at least letting the media know what's going on or the media finding out and with the owners. And so there have been, you know, there are there are really, I guess, probably some version of, of three versions, right? All 30 teams and you play the regular season and then only 16 teams and um, you just play the playoffs and then some plus version, either 20 or 24 teams. Um, There are a bunch of questions on each one that have to get answered. I think that's probably where the board of governors meeting would start is trying to make sure that everyone's got the information that they need to have. And then from there, once you decide the formats, then you have to make the next steps in each of those decisions. Um, the only news note that I saw that was interesting was all of a sudden the idea of a July 31st start, which leads me to believe two things. One, I've never believed this idea that we have to be done by Labor Day because of football. I just, well, first, I don't know that I think football is necessarily starting on Labor Day. And two, I just can't imagine, like, it just doesn't make any sense. Like, it just doesn't jive. Like, you're putting in all this effort to get all the payments done and to make money, but you're just not willing to go past Labor Day. It doesn't, that doesn't jive at all. Um, so I'm not, I'm not believing that. Um, but I thought July 31st was interesting if that's really what, like I saw that as a start date late last night. That's later, a little later than I thought, which limits some of what you're going to do here. So for the players, so that the playoffs look like high caliber competitive basketball, do there need to be 5, 10, 15 games in front of it? What do you think? Put aside all the business stuff. 
which I know that's impossible. But just for purposes of this, put the business stuff aside. How much basketball? How many basketball games do they need to play before a playoff game looks like playoff quality basketball? Well, DJ, I think this is a great point because this is, was kind of my big takeaway yesterday on this whole deal. If you think about it, um, I talked about it as though it was a Venn diagram. Um, there's, you know, their safety is the number one overriding issue, and that, but to some extent, you've decided you're willing to take a risk the minute you do this. The, you know, if safety was the number one deciding issue, we just stay home. Um, so you have basketball fairness in the sense of like standings and opportunity, really, to the box and Lakers. You have revenue, which is important. And you have what you're talking about, which is basketball quality. And what's interesting to me is if you think back like the old Venn diagram where the circles intersect, those circles don't really intersect very well at all in this process. Right? Like, I think you have a legitimate point. Like, if you go straight to the playoffs, like, what are those opening games going to look like? And, you know, do you suddenly get an eight one seven two upset because of the fact that people are rusty and then you've kind of hurt your league, hurt the value of these playoffs a little bit. Um, on the other end, you need eight or nine games to start. And if you bring back all 30 teams to do that, I think it's pretty clear that Steph Curry and Trey Young and Carl Anthony Towns are not playing and maybe even Dame Lillard. Um, so I, I don't know the answer on how I think that's where the world cup form, which has its own problems. Cause I don't think it's very fair. Um, where the World Cup model gives at least better basketball for the second, third, and final rounds of the playoffs. It increases revenue because it gives you those games you need. Um, but it's not very good on basketball fairness. If I'm the Lakers or the Bucks, I'm pretty sour that my regular season didn't do me anything. Yeah, I mean, it's the circumstances being what they are, though. So I think that uh, people are going to be fine. They're going to be celebrating the fact that there's basketball. I'm going to be worried about the quality of play because it's not going to be the same. I think we understand that. It will not be the same as if they continued and went through and did what they normally do and what they've done for every year. So I think people already accept that. I don't think that's a, that's big of a deal to the public. The bigger picture of what you're talking about is that we're in a new normal. There's not We can't go back to what we once had and – you know, we have to kind of accept what, what we're going to get now, however that's going to be, what your fan experience is going to be when we allow fans back in, what your broadcast experience is going to be watching, and what the quality of the game is. I'm 100% with you on that. Yeah, I agree. Well, obviously. <laughs> Do you think... Wow, we just brought the show to a halt when I agree with PK. <laughs> yeah, right, everything's That's pretty good. We've all, you know, we only got about 90 years of broadcast experience between the three of us. We're probably not supposed to have that kind of dead air. I think that uh, with Damian Lillard's comments, you know, they first came out, then there's been some follow-up. So then, in, in summary, when you get it, then the gist of his original point was, don't send me to Orlando for five or six games where we're fodder and I don't have a chance to get to the playoffs. Send me down there for 17 regular season games or 19 or whatever they had left to finish the season, and let's see if we can make it. Or send me down there and put me in the playoffs and some kind of play-in thing, and okay, it's weird, but at least I got a chance to win. But running down there for five games and not making, not really giving them a shot to get in didn't make any sense. Was that his point? Yeah, and let me ask you this one. Let's say we go straight to the playoffs. 
Okay, which is well, if he goes straight uh, to the playoffs, he doesn't have to go down there. So I guess he right. But let's say we go straight to the playoffs. Let's let's just do that. I'm kind of moving past Dame into a bigger picture, and I think that that's it. Feels like there's a lot of chance that that's what ends up happening, just because you can't get anything else approved. Um, so let's say we go straight to the playoffs, and Orlando is the eighth seed. Is that right? Who's the eighth seed in the West and the East? And they go down, and they go through this. Well, they're in Orlando, so it's not as big a deal. But let's just say that the seventh seed, the Nets, go down, and they play without Kyrie and without Durant. And they go down to this, and they get court. They do this. They get quarantined. They they're in the bu- They're in the campus or the bubble, and then they lose in four, and they just go home. So they play four games. Yeah. Like if the Jazz without Boyan go down and play the Rockets or the Thunder, and they lose in five and go home, aren't like aren't the Jazz players pretty sour that they just had to give up that much time of their life for five games? I don't know. I guess it'd be guy by guy. Some guys might be saying, well, at least that's over and it didn't last two months. Right, I guess, right? Yeah, I think I think I mean, what, it's you're, weird, it's a, what you're going it's where 15 players. There does seem to be some value to the World Cup model or some sort of model that has some games before the regular season starts. So that you're not asking a month and a half a time out of somebody for four games. I think one of the things to think about when we had Joe Ingles on, he was talking about how he's feeling a little bit stronger, a little bit better than he thought because he's been able to get some weightlifting in without having to always constantly being the doing the aerobic stuff, running, obviously in basketball and practicing, you're running all the time. And so that hasn't happened. He hasn't played any games in two and a half months, but he's been lifting all the time. So there might be some benefit there to players getting an opportunity to come back maybe a little bit stronger. Now their win may not be as uh, as good, nor their you know the techniques of the basketball, but they might be stronger because most of these guys haven't had this long of a time in which they haven't played any form of competitive basketball, whether it's pickup, it's national team, whatever it might be. They're not doing that, but yet they're able to, depending on what their situation is, in the case of Joe Ingles, having a gym basically at his home downstairs, he's talked about that, allowing himself to get stronger. So in some respects, it might be a positive. Well, I've watched Renee's Instagram, so if he's done half of what Renee does, he'll be fine. Yeah, she's a workout fiend for sure. Um, so, you know, I was uh, listening to an uh, NHL podcast, um, Locked on the NHL the other day, and they were talking about that there's a feeling amongst the NHL players that they could be better, that the hockey could be better than it's ever been. Um, and it translates to exactly what you're talking about, that, you know, in hockey you just are physically beaten and then you get into these playoff matches that some of them are just slugfest and he's moved to the next one. The other one that, um, from talking to Mike Elliott and congratulations to the jazz training staff, um, for the award they won yesterday for, you know, uh, trainers of the year, along with Oklahoma city for the way they dealt with the uh, COVID situation in Oklahoma. So congratulations to, to Mike and to Eric and to Barnett and, uh, to the whole crew. Um, Eric Phillips, um, the, Mike, the conversation I had with Mike Elliott a little while ago was about peak performance. And we were talking about the new schedule and sometimes having three days off. And he said, you know, really, truly peak performance for an athlete is you, you get to your peak. And then if you can perform, 
on a consistent basis so that you're going always going every other day or you're always going every two days or you're always going every you know, th- you know three days and you find a way to maintain peak performance. The problem athletes have with injuries is when they're at peak performance and they drop off with too much rest and then they try to get back to peak performance or you run peak performance for too long a period of time and then you fall off. If if I the way I'm you know suspecting things is that these guys would play virtually just every particularly in a playoff series they would just play every other day. There's no travel. You just play four games it, once if you did the first round. You just play four games one day, four games the next day, and and just have it on a pattern. We could have absolute peak performance for an extended period of time for the athletes. No travel, rested, and not playing in an inconsistent manner where you're trying to maintain peak performance or popping off it like Mike Elliott talked about. So at, there is a possibility that like from at least an athlete standpoint these guys will be at their at their maximum david Locke, radio voice of the utah jazz joining us so are they going to get to this uh level and as soon as the playoffs are done just go into the next season and figure we've already had an off season it once you start hearing this end of july date i guess the teams that get eliminated would have some downtime waiting for the playoffs to finish but the teams to go deep in the playoffs would it be pretty much just rolling right into the next season no, I don't think we're starting the next season any earlier than December 18th. Kind of from what I've heard. Okay. And frankly, I'm the one who's made up December 18th. Everything else I've heard is Christmas. <laughs> um, but for- I can't figure out why TV-wise you would start on Christmas Day. I would suspect that you start, you give yourself an opening week of TV broadcasts, and then you hit a celebration on Christmas. So that's, you know, so... I think you would start the 16th, 17th, or 18th, but that's just, you know, I'm making that up. Um, so that, I, I think that in, in that sense, no, um, we wouldn't go straight um, to the next season. You still have to have also the draft and free agency. Um, and I then think, as we've talked about before, I think there's a chance that this is the new NBA schedule. Well, at least we're going to find out. I love, I love the, these are the things I like. I wish we could try more things in Orlando because you might as well just see what they're like. And um, I understand why it probably will be more traditional than we than we've talked about. Um, but I I do love this like idea. Like let's start at December 18th or December 25th and find out. Um, and then if it turns out that we you live through that and you're like wow that's really like you know what that's a little too late. Then just back it up. Like then back it up three weeks. But but there's no reason. To be starting on October fifteenth, like we have been, um, that just kind of happened over time, and we have a chance to reset that and decide what the best way for the league to function is. How about the draft? Then what's going to happen there? Um, I'm hearing um, September is what kind of the word on that is, um, but it would probably just be shortly right after the the uh, finals, the way that it kind of always has been. So this whole. Uh East-West playoffs, traditional or reseed, and go one through sixteen. Let me hear. What would you guys, What would you guys do if you had your? If you, from a viewer standpoint, not like your commissioner, what would you do for safety? Like from a fan standpoint, what would you want? I would just stay East-West. So you just go no regular season. Start one through sixteen. No, I would, oh, I would have regular season games if it were up to me. I think if you're going to send 12 Western teams back, I, and I think 11 games probably get you you know much better quality basketball. I just have everybody play everybody once. I just have a round robin, tack those 11 games onto the standings and then seed the playoffs one through eight, and uh, away you go. PK? 
I would like to see some form of games. You know, at first when Damian Lillard said what he said, I thought, that wow, that's outrageous. But the more I thought about it, I thought, okay, he's making some sense. But I wouldn't want to have a league rejoin but yet not have all the teams in the league. And so I would like to see some form of the teams going back there, wherever it might be and however they do it, it's up to them. So have some amount of games. I haven't thought about the amount of games that they need to play, but have a little bit of a playoff race and then go. And if you wanted to seed them without the conferences and however you wanted, I'm okay because I think there might be some advantages to that. Uh, I would be okay with that because this new norm that you speak of, and I've heard you use this phrase now, that's the, we don't even know what the new norm is. We just know that there's going to be a new norm. And so if they think of things that are against what we normally have had, you take like interleague play in baseball. I thought, oh, why, why would they do that, man? They've had this thing going on for so long, blah, blah, blah. Well, then they've had it, and people have responded, and attendance has been better. It really hasn't ruined anything. It's probably it's, it's enhanced it. It's made the game more money, you know, to see the Dodgers and the Angels play. I went last year when we were down for Pac-12 Media Day, and the Dodgers played the Angels, and I saw Mike Trout throw a bullet from center field and nail a runner, and so it was kind of cool. So I think this new norm, even though we don't know what it's going to be defined as completely, might actually be beneficial. And years from now, we'll look back and say, wow, that was something that they used and used to their advantage and made it better. So I'm excited to see how that's going to be. Yeah, I, I, I'm up for trying things. I think it's going to be very hard to get consensus through the Board of Governors, and there's so many other bigger issues that um, I think it'll be hard to get it all approved. But I think it's great we've talked about it. I don't know when it ever gets instituted. All right, David, we will leave it there. Thanks for joining us. We appreciate it. We'll talk to you again next week. Talk to you guys soon. There's David Locke, radio voice of the Utah Jazz with PK and I. Coming up next, the U going through a phase reopening, welcoming athletes back, preparing for the fall sports season. Dr. David Petron is going to join us coming up next. Stay with us. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, it's time to talk with Dr. David Petron, University of Utah, Phased reopening of the athletic facilities. How is this going to work? The doctor joins us right now on the Sprint special guest line. Sprint makes it safe and easy to get what you need online. Visit Sprint.com for online services and local store availability. Dr. Petron, good morning. Yes, sir. Good morning. Thanks for coming on. We've got uh, probably a couple hours worth of questions, but we'll we'll try to keep it to twenty minutes or so. All right. I'm curious because sounds good. How's it going to work? I hope it's going to work well. (laughs) Right. I know. I know. It's the word hope that has everybody nervous, right? (laughs) We we prefer it. I know, including myself. Yeah. Right. But that brings us to the first question. You know, you're a doctor. That immediately when you hear that title. To most of society, that conveys, you know, some level of expertise. So what you say goes. But I'm curious right now with a new, new disease, of all the facts you would need to know about this disease to do what you're going to do, 
What, if you could put a rough number on it, do you think you know 25% of what you need to know, 50% of what you need to know, 75%? How much of this disease have we learned about over the last three months we really think we, we know about it? Well, we've learned a lot, but I don't think we'd ever really be able to answer that question until we look at this whole pandemic retrospectively, which will probably be years from now. So it's a novel virus, so we're learning every day. And I certainly wouldn't call myself an expert. I've learned a lot since uh, Rudy Gobert came down with it and and, um, continue to learn. In fact, do you guys know Andy Larson? Yes. Yeah. That's that's impressive. I've learned from him with some of the articles he's had. He's changed gears, hasn't he, with, with what he covers. And to be able to cover this the way he has, I think, is really impressive. So I was on that Zoom call with you and, and Trevor Jameson and the two athletic administrators, and you created a timeline, basically, as far as when some uh, athletes can come back. And you started out uh, June 15th. It's going to be for the locals. And then a week later, out of state, and then uh, some. Then you have some new players, uh, men, women, when they come to campus and all that stuff. How did you come up with the idea of June 15th for the locals and then a week later out of state? How did that work? We just felt like we wanted to not have people traveling in where they may be carrying the virus with them and wanted to phase it it in with just a local athlete first since the um, virus is less uh, prominent in state. Um, And then some of this came down with the recommendations from the Pac-12 as well as the NCAA. So nothing that we do will supersede anything from uh, the accordance with the state and federal and NCAA and the Pac-12 guidelines. So everything tends to follow that. But we just felt like um, June 15th would be a good time to get the local athletes back. And then phase two would be the out-of-state and international student athletes will return on campus as long as everything goes well. And then when the athletes return to campus, all of them will have a uh, PCR test and an antibody test. Um, and they'll have to follow uh, certain requirements before they can even come to campus. Obviously, they, they'll need to be asymptomatic for at least 14 days, not have any exposure. Um, have been practicing social distancing where they've been and They'll have when once they get to campus, they'll have daily temperature checks and they'll have an electronic uh, questionnaire that they'll answer daily. They'll have areas that they'll need to have appointments to um, get into certain facilities because we don't want to we want to create a safe and manageable return of athletes to these facilities and not have crossover one team to another team. And so they'll have appointments that. Uh, when they can access the facilities at certain times just um, to try to minimize crossover. Um, So we're doing everything we can to um, try to keep this as safe as possible for the athletes. And, of course, everything with the athletes is voluntary. So if an athlete chooses not to have a test, that's fine, but they'd have to quarantine for uh, 14 days. And then our final phase would be uh, on June 29th. That's when the newcomer athletes, all the freshmen, Freshman athletes would be allowed on campus. I guess really the final phase would be all other sports coming to campus, which would be um, July 13th through the 27th. 
Are all the athletes going to be uh, required to mask up, asked to mask up? Will the same things be applied to the faculty and staff who interact with them, or is that going to be campus-wide for everybody regardless? I, I think it will be encouraged campus-wide, and I, the classrooms, my understanding, uh, won't be as crowded as they normally are, so there'll be spacing there. Obviously, we can't force our athletes to wear a mask, and we can't control what they do at all times on or off campus, but they will have education on hand-washing and temperature checks and um, wearing a mask and social distancing. And and then, you know, we educate them, and I guess you hope for the best from there. And then if they do have exposure, they'll be retested. Um, if somebody does come down with the with an illness, then, I mean, that's the biggest worry, right? So you have a, just say, a football team, and there's a lot of uh, contact, and it's hard to have social distancing when you're sharing a ball and lining up across the line of scrimmage from somebody else. And so if somebody does come down with the virus, then we need to determine um, low risk versus high risk. And some of those definitions change, but right now, the definition we're using for low risk is distance of six feet for less than three minutes. Uh, and the infected person was wearing a mask and there was no physical contact. So you can imagine with a sport like football or even basketball, well, they're not wearing masks when they're, when they're playing. And so it ends up being that a fair number of people would be considered high risk, which would be less than a distance of six feet, greater than three minutes exposure whether they're wearing a mask or not, and uh, physical contact and, and sharing a common ball. So and if somebody does test positive and you have high-risk exposure, then our choices at that point will be to quarantine for 14 days or test, isolate them, and then test on day three and test on day five. And so if somebody, um, if we have somebody has test positive and they have high-risk exposure with other athletes, um, that could eliminate a fair number of athletes for at least five days until the test result is back. How many guys, men, women, do you anticipate being able to accommodate with these volunteer workouts at a time? Uh, I couldn't give you numbers on that, PK. It, it, we're, I know in the weight room we plan on having stations set up where there's uh, adequate social distancing, and I know that there'll be um, time set for each team to do their workouts to maintain that social distancing, but I couldn't give you numbers that will be in certain areas. I know we're in the locker room, we're going to try to have distancing there too, or even have athletes uh, shower at home. For instance, with the Jazz, uh, for their practice, they there's no sharing any space in a locker room, so they just grab their lunch and, and go home from there. And so there's still a fair amount of isolating in the in the first phases. And then the first phase where they're just working out but not having contact, we don't plan on doing uh, continued testing. But once once uh, they start to share a common ball and, and um, have contact, then we'll be testing on a regular basis. How much of this are you uh, trying to figure out on your own as you go through this? How much information is being shared across the Pac-12, and how much is being shared between conferences? The Pac-12 is, I would say, really leading the way on a lot of this. Uh, the NCAA has used a lot of our information that we've come up with with the 
COVID-19 Task Force and the Student Athlete Health and Wellbeing Board. Um, and every team in the Pac-12 has a representative that's on that board. So everybody in the Pac-12 is on the same page. They may not be rolling out the phases at the same time, but the requirements and the testing and that type of thing are are similar throughout the Pac-12. The NCAA has just allowed return to um, to the facilities on June 15th, but we don't have a lot of specifics from the NCAA yet. And, um, you know, if they come up with something that's out of alignment with what we're doing, we'll, you know, we'll very likely get in line with what the NCAA is recommending. The big question, I think, so with some the, of this is... Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, you finished, I just, Doctor. I was just going to say, for games, I think it gets interesting, and there's been a lot of back and forth on how we're going to handle this. So, um, obviously, we'd like to do testing as close as possible to game time. Um, and the infectious disease specialists say, just theoretically, say we could do the testing immediately before the game and nobody tested positive then there's zero chance of viral spreading and it's perfectly safe to play that game um, because their viral load isn't high enough where you or they're considered contagious so that would be the ideal is you have a visiting team and a home team the home team supplies testing as close to game time as possible but some of that gets tricky there are tests out there right now that can have a result back within 45 minutes um and can test up to 40. Now I think there's even a machine that can do up to 60 at a time. So there may be access to some of that uh, testing equipment for games, but practicality, it would probably be more like 48 to 72 hours before a game. And then, of course, you have a chance of if somebody was an asymptomatic carrier and they tested negative, but even though they tested negative, they're just negative at that time. So in that 48 to 72 hours, it could still turn positive. So your risk for game time would not be zero. Does that make sense? Yeah. Well, uh, thank you for that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I understand. Opens up potentially uh, some problems. I guess we'll see what happens there. When you talk all about of this, the, we're, we're mitigating risk, right? Uh, I mean, there's uh, never going to there's never going to be zero risk. Yeah. Right, right, yes, exactly. That's, I think, something that we need to understand. I'm wondering, uh, is the campus going to be open? Because you got the, the local kids, well, they already have housing. How is it going to work then when you invite the out-of-state kids coming in? As far as if they get, if they test positive for the virus? No, or where are they going to be housed? Be is the campus going to be open? Is the campus going no? Yes, yeah, the campus well, right, going to house them. Right now, my understanding is, uh, yeah, the campus will be open, and the dorms will be open. I'm curious how much teams will alter their travel plans. What are you recommending there? Uh, because obviously, the less time they're on the road, the less risk there seems to be. Some teams travel charters. Some teams travel commercial. Will trips that used to be air travel now be bust? Yes. A lot of questions that's, there. No, that's a great question, and that's a recommendation from the uh, Pac-12, is that if possible for travel, if it's within a reasonable distance that they travel by by bus. 
And then the other thing we have to figure out, and this is a going forward. That you think that's what they're going to do? That's that's the plan if it's within driving distance. So yeah, you might have at least California schools if the team that they're playing is within a reasonable distance that they're it's recommended that they travel by by ground. Dr. David Petron joining us right now, talking about the phased reopening of Utah athletic facilities. Um, I want to ask you, not that this sport is the most popular because it's not even close, but it overlaps with quote-unquote real life. How does a COVID virus behave in chlorinated water? Is it safer? Is it less safe? And obviously we're getting a good weather and people want to go to pools and some public or some are private and some are indoors and some are outdoors. So there's all kinds of variables. But what do you know? What do you, what are you telling the swim teams and how might that apply to the average listener in their own life right now who's thinking about a water park or a swimming pool? Well, I'm not an expert on that, and so I'm a little hesitant to comment on that. I don't think we know completely about that, but I I think in chlorinated water, it's difficult for the virus to live. But um, I know that we're still planning on uh, testing our swim our swim team and allowing them to return to to sport as well. But I couldn't comment on uh, like the general public going into a community pool, how safe that is or not. I'm not sure. When you talk about how there will never be a complete uh, situation where there'll be no risk going forward, this phrase "new norm," do you see these types of things that we have, whatever might new new norm might be, actually that this is something that we'll be doing for years to come? I think until we have a vaccine um, or we have adequate treatment for those who uh, contract the virus, I, I think. Yeah, this this could go on for a while. Hopefully, we have a vaccine soon. And yeah, but if we look at the number of people that are exposed to the virus right now, overall, it's it's a very small number of people that have it. So people always wonder, will there be a second outbreak? I mean, certainly potential for that, given that from what we know right now, we haven't done mass testing of asymptomatic people, but from what we know, it's still a small percentage of the population that has the virus. So. I can't anticipate, at least this year, that uh, for football anyway, that we'd have fans in the stands. Uh, or if we did, it would have to be the same type of social distancing that we have elsewhere and um, the same precautions with masks and that type of thing. That's what I think is going to be the most. Don't you think it's going to be bizarre to, to be at a football you guys, You guys would probably still have access to a football game, but we wouldn't have mass fans at a game. and. Um, for both football or basketball, and yeah, I think it's I think it's going to be different for quite a while. Dr. David Petron joining us to talk about the phased reopening of the Utah athletic facilities. What what kind of advice and what kind of guidance can you give the student athlete who has some type of pre-existing condition? I mean, there's so many scholarship athletes. There must be somebody who has diabetes. There must be somebody who has had, you know, a kidney or liver issue at some point. Uh, how, how closely can you work with them and what can you tell them? Yeah, it doesn't come up as often as you'd think. We have the... Uh, a lot of athletes that have asthma, but they have to be more in the moderate to severe asthma to be considered a higher risk. Um, diabetes type 1, which some athletes have, very few have type 2. 
which tends to be uh, more with overweight. Uh, type one's not as big of a risk factor as a, as a diabetic with type two, but any of the athletes that have um, some pre-existing conditions like you're talking about, we'd take all the same precautions that we're taking with our other athletes, but we also have to put that in a context of how important, you know, is the sport to you and this experience to you. And we still would try to obviously make it as safe as possible. They'd still have temperature checks daily. and uh, They'd have to fill out the electronic questionnaire daily, we'd try to do tracking and all the usual precautions that we'd have for uh, our other athletes as well. But if they became symptomatic, that, then it might be a bigger issue. If we look at 15 to 24-year-old healthy athletes without any comorbidities, their chance of dying from this virus is like one in three million. So if we look at all of sport, it's, you know, if we're looking at the worst case scenario for a healthy athlete getting this virus, it's it's very unlikely that somebody would die from it. So that's that's the positive thing. But obviously there's more important things than um, to to test these athletes to make sure that they're not just going to die because that's a remote possibility. But we still want to make sure that they're not bringing the virus home to others in their family or have potential infect other students on campus and that type of thing. So we think all the precautions that we're taking are well worth it. But in the bigger picture of things, you know, hopefully mortality is not high on the list. What are you doing with uh, coaches? Because obviously you're going to see coaches and assistant coaches and administrators who are going to interact with student-athletes, and they're going to be older and presumably at higher risk, plus all the other things you talk about. Who knows if they're taking it home? Who knows who they're interacting with? No, exactly. That's actually probably the bigger risk are some of the coaches. But they'll go through the same process as the athletes, and you'll see coaching being different too. You're not going to see coaches up in players' faces. They'll, they'll maintain some distancing. Um, they'll have to go through the same type of screen on a daily basis that the athletes go through. Um, you might see some limitation in coaches that travel. So we might have had a bigger travel uh, committee for um, football, for example, and that might be pared down to more uh, essential coaches. So I think I think all of this has potential to change, and all of this – like we talked about in the press conference yesterday, it's this is all fluid. You know, it could change as we gather new information, emerging evidence. If, as we gain more experience with how to handle these situations, it could all change. But, um, yeah, for coaches, really, I think that's the bigger risk. Or old guys like me traveling <laughs> with the team, that's a bigger risk. <laughs> Well, Doctor, like you said, we could probably go on for a couple hours, but we appreciate a few minutes to kind of lay some of this out. And if you don't mind, we might uh, double back and talk to you again as we get closer to the start of the school year and closer to the start of games. Happy to do it. There's Dr. David Petron from the University of Utah as they begin their phased reopening and start welcoming uh, students and athletes back to campus and everybody starts preparing for sports in the fall, and we'll see how that goes. As he said, you know, it's a, it's a work in progress, and if they get new information, they'll make new decisions, and uh, we'll see where this stands two weeks from now, four weeks from now, six weeks from now, as we get closer to the scheduled start of the football season. All right, we're going to take a break. What is trending? All the headlines are coming up next. Stay with us.